I'm Ashley. And I'm Kate. Welcome, Welcome to, to For, For Some, Some Reason. Reason, a podcast where we give play-by-plays and color commentary on all forms of media. But we don't hold ourselves to any rules. You'll hear me focusing on historical and folkloric context. And this is my big chance to use my degree in film production and cinema studies. Follow along as we discuss Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. So Crimson Peak for me, is one of my favorite Guillermo del Toro movies. I will say that this is an extremely visual movie. Like, maybe story-wise, some of his other movies do have, like, a more coherent story. I will amend that from last episode. But this one, to me, is just, like, so incredibly, like, engaging visually. I love it. And I've said before, and I will say it again, my personal aesthetic is, like, velvet goth and this was very much that oh, yes <laughs> very much yes we'll get into uh, that's one thing i really love i mean with all of his movies but especially this one i think the the setting and the costumes are like their own characters or, mm. or really 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 help mm. lend themselves to telling the story mm-hmm. and it's just such a beautiful movie i mean like like head to toe every single shot is just like yeah visual feast and i mean it's a good story too but like yeah. even if for some reason you w- didn't like the story if you're turned off by certain elements of it and we'll get into yeah we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> you can still really enjoy it yeah yeah it's a pretty much a classic like he garibo calls it a gothic romance it's he says <laughs> this yes he's like it is not a horror movie and i'm like okay it's pretty creepy though yes <laughs> A little bit more creepy than I'd say like a gothic horror necessarily would be, but love that uh, that you feel that way. But this movie was made in 2015 by Legendary Pictures, of course, directed by Guillermo del Toro. And this budget was $55 million, which explains the sets and the costumes. Mm -hmm. But the revenue was actually kind of small. It was only $74.7 million, which... Not a good, not a great, not return. great. No. <laughs> and then I saw the rating on IMDb and like, people don't like this movie. I'm really surprised, um, honestly. Like, I guess it's just the element that we'll discuss, but like, I don't know what else there is to not like about it, honestly. I mean, I guess it's maybe a little bit slower. And if you're a, a fan of his more action y films, mm. this is a little bit less action y. Mm. But I don't know. I thought it was a pretty, you know, pretty straightforward, uh, successful film. Yeah, yeah I, I agree as well. Runtime is just at two hours at 119 minutes. And it's listed as like a drama horror slash mystery. Yes to all that. But really, if you just think like gothic romance, it's mm-hmm. that's really what it is. I realized that honestly, I've only seen this once in theaters. And I was kind of mixing it in my head with Wuthering Heights, which I feel like came around the same time mm. with with other Michael Fassbender. Mm. I don't know why, but it is it's got some elements of Wuthering Heights. I mean, he was inspired heavily by a lot of gothic romantic authors and artists. And I also love that when I was looking um about the costumes, the the costume designer Kate Holly had mm-hmm. had her own mood boards, and those those were really really pretty and interesting. Oh, too. I didn't get to see those. She has them all online, I think. Yeah. I would love to or see them because all of the 
it's really the dresses like you know the men have pretty standard like turn of the century outfits on but like mm-hmm. all the women's gowns are extremely stylized and extremely beautiful and like each yeah. character's style like even if you saw the dress without them in it you'd be like oh that's who's wearing it which is exactly what you want to convey in terms of costuming yeah and actually i think um they made all of the the, the dresses and everything in-house but yeah. all of uh, the men's outfits were were set up. like she designed them but then they were made by some other company i can and see that came back mm-hmm She's they like, were not we don't care as much yeah i mean like they weren't bad like don't get me wrong like they fit everyone well they looked good etc cetera, etc cetera. but like honestly women's fashion it, since like the 1700s is just more interesting men mm-hmm. kind of got and i i mean this in terms of like western fashion like mm-hmm. western europe and then america of fashion men kind of got this like one silhouette in like the late 1700s and um it's just been variations of that since. Yeah. Not even interesting palettes. I feel like it's just recently that men are starting to branch out into wearing colors again. Right. Mm. And as people like to joke, Harry Styles saves fashion by wearing oh, a dress. Absolutely not. I <laughs> no. refuse to give that to him. No. And like, don't get me wrong. He looks great. But like, sorry, but like. <laughs> it's not like he showed up with the dress on. Like they the, they told him what to wear. Yeah. Like. So many other like queer people have been oh, yeah. wearing. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, well before him. Yeah. But um, yeah, hairstyles, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this is starring a pretty great cast. Mia Wasikowska is Edith Cushing. I don't believe I've ever seen her in anything else, but she did a great job. She was in Alice in Wonderland. She was Alice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't like that movie. No, yeah. it wasn't good, but she was pretty. She's <laughs> she <cute>. was <laughs> she, she's pretty, she's cute. She really does yeah. fit this like Victorian aesthetic. Oh, so yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jessica Chastain, who was like, Oh yeah, that is you as Lucille Sharp, Tom Hiddleston as Thomas Sharp, Charlie Hunnam as Dr. Alan McMichael. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Jim Beaver. Jim Beaver. Bobby. I really like him yes. As, uh, Carter Cushing, so that's Edith's father. Mm-hmm. And then just like a quick shout out to our friend, friend of the pod, Doug Jones, as oh, Edith's yeah. mother's ghost. Yes. Yeah. I think he plays multiple ghosts throughout the movie, but he, he does. Um, and then that other guy that was the mama ghost. As usual. Excellent yeah. job doing creature features. Yeah. So the uh, IMDB plot for this is actually a bit longer than usual, but yeah. In the aftermath of a family tragedy, an aspiring author is torn between love of her childhood friend and the temptation of a mysterious outsider. Trying to escape the ghosts of her past, she is swept away to a house that breathes, bleeds, and remembers. That's mostly right, but I didn't really feel the love for the childhood friend. No. Or like the tornness of it. Me either. Actually, actually kind of specifically, she, as an Edith, when talking about the character played by Charlie Hunnam, Michael Allen, or excuse me, Alan McMichael, he's yeah. just, she's like, yeah, you've been gone a long time and like things change. And like, yeah. that's kind of like the only that's inclination. It, yeah. She's like, even hints that they had something before. Like mm. her dad's like, oh, you know, he's always liked you. And she's like, yeah, okay, I know. <laughs> and like, she leaves it at that. So I don't really feel like she was torn. Um, right. 
I love how in the, the video by Kaz Rowe about the costumes, they have like a, mm-hmm. a quick little meme where he's like, Edith, like to be yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's very much like a white knight in this movie. Oh, yeah. Kind of has no other role other than to be a white knight. I called him IPI white knight because <laughs> he's like eye doctor, PI. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is accurate. <laughs> it's accurate, but it's. um. You know, Charlie's doing his thing. Yeah. He's getting some range after um, Sons of Anarchy. And Crimson Peak, yeah. Apparently, a couple of notes before we get going, like, um, like that's actually how Guillermo, like, offered it to him. Was like, I'm thinking about doing this movie. And they just emailed, because Guillermo likes emailing. And then he's like, I always keep my actors' emails after sets. So mm-hmm. I just emailed him over, and we were just kind of spitballing. And apparently Charlie was, like, really gung-ho to have his character be, like, a pipe smoker, too. I'm like, that is too much. Too That's much. way too you much. You can't do that. Because he and already Guillermo's had, like, he, well, on his shelf, do you remember, he had the book from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and that yeah. had been too much. You can't be smoking a pipe and reading <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Like, you gotta right. rein it in. Yeah, uh. Guillermo literally <laughs> said it wasn't worth having, like, the fight with the producers to get it on the screen. Like, no, sorry, Charlie. Sorry, yeah. Charlie. And then... Yeah. um. Jessica Chastain was actually originally offered the the Mia role, the Edith role, and then mm. she she chose Lucille. She's like, I think that's a more interesting character. I'd rather do that one. I and think then, that was a good job. I think yeah, it was, yeah, it was crazy. It was yeah. she, she did great. Oh, and then um, apparently Benedict Cumberbatch was originally Thomas so, Sharp. Can we just have like a really quick talk about British actors and Ashley? Yeah, <laughs> I think that a lot of them are good at their craft. I cannot see the appeal personally myself. <laughs> I think Tom Hiddleston is a great actor. Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor. The <laughs> attention they get. Yeah. Don't understand it. I don't either. I mean, Benedict, I guess he has like an interesting face, right? And he played he a really like iconic character. Alien. He does look like an alien. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Like not in a bad way. It's just like, that's just like what he looks like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tom well, Hiddleston for me, I don't think he's particularly attractive, but. He's um, not ugly. I, he's just like, looks like a dude. And when I was on Tumblr, I saw a lot of videos of him and he's like a silly, he's a silly person. That's why I liked him. Yeah. He seems <laughs> fun. I mean, again, Benedict seems fun too. It's just like the amount. I guess. And like, I was watching something else and they're talking about Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Who's the one oh, yeah. that's like. In, Jackman. Yeah. Is that Over. the one I'm thinking of? The one who was in um that that movie where the lady's like, I'm fat and two men are suddenly into me, and my boss is mean, and he's one of those men. Bridget Jones. There we go. Oh no, that's Mr. Darcy, the original Mr. Darcy. Who is that? Hugh Grant. You were thinking movie. Yeah. Hugh Grant. Yeah, Hugh Grant and uh who's that other guy? Who's Mr. Darcy? Colin Firth. There you go. Colin Firth. I was thinking about Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is another one. I literally saw a video this week and people were like, I mean, how could you say no to Hugh Grant? And I was like, like this, you say no. I mean, I don't find that like befuddlement to be charming. No. But anyway, that is, that concludes (laughs) my misunderstanding of (laughs) British actor (laughs) appeal. I thought it was kind of funny that um, Guillermo said like he likes to when he can like incorporate the actors into the script so when uh it was switched from benedict to to tom hiddleston he completely rewrote the character 
Mm. And he's like, he was originally a lot, a lot more cold and mean. I'm like, that's what are you yeah. saying about Benedict? <laughs> I feel like Benedict can pull that off though, because like that's essentially his character in Doctor Strange. Yeah, true. Yeah. So Don't oh wow, it's not a Marvel verse in this. Hmm? It's not a like Marvel universe people. Oh, yeah, and look, yeah. Loki, Any- who else? Uh, well, I was just thinking Benedict and Loki. Oh, and, oh yeah. Uh, I keep forgetting Charlie Hunnam is actually not. <laughs> he seems like he would be, he, for he, sure. He feels like he is. He's not, yeah. though. But <laughs> he has that air about him. He does. You know what? Give it enough time, every actor will have been in the MCU. So. Right. They Give it some time. Red. Come on. <laughs> yeah, they're getting Keanu, apparently. What? No! What? I, I don't make the rules. And I... Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Fine. I don't know. All right. Fine. So, one thing I want to mention up top, some of our sources for this are, of course, Wikipedia, IMDb, and then a couple YouTube channels. So, mm-hmm. Kaz Rowe for her costuming video regarding mm-hmm. this movie, and then another one from Costumes Co. Mm-hmm. I also read an article from Smithsonian Magazine talking about how tuberculosis influenced Victorian fashion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Again, yeah, the fashion is just such a huge part of this movie, as was the set direction. I couldn't find as much on the set production. Wish you could. I know that they built the set in um, Pinewood Toronto Studios in Canada, and it Mm -hmm. really was three and a half stories. Guillermo said he almost cried when they had to tear it down. I'm like, I bet. He said it was his favorite set ever at the time. They actually had some of the walls moving because mm -hmm. he wanted to feel like it breathed for real. Mm-hmm. So they had like little motors move the walls and they just said it was more cohesive filming because they didn't have to like cut it together in the editing room afterwards. They actually, the camera followed a lot of the times from one room to another. Mm-hmm. So it was easier. I mean, it felt like a house. I I, th- yeah. I don't think most of the time when you're watching media that it necessarily feels like they're actually in the place that they're filming in. And mm-hmm. this one did feel like a real house. I did know it was a set because I watched it's like a six minute behind the scenes also and it ripped from somewhere <laughs> who knows what that's ripped from no idea when are like online streaming services that you pay for going to also let you have the behind the scenes because it's like well you know it's interesting I was thinking about that and we will get to the movie scene folks but, but um, <laughs> I was thinking about that because I realized when we're going to be covering a lot of the more modern movies especially things that come out like when we're recording, they don't release any behind the scenes basically anymore. Like, yeah, unless they have some kind of special, like generally Disney kind of does it for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody else, yeah. I don't think anyone else really does that, which is a it's a pity and it's a shame because as people who are both very interested in the production of a movie, the behind the scenes, what's what's going on under the hood mm-hmm. we don't have that insight anymore yeah I guess just gonna be more interviews digging but even then like yeah I feel like so much of it comes out in retrospect or like after months you know yeah but I guess it right. means we can, we can revisit stuff yay it does <laughs> <laughs> so I think everything else I'm gonna touch on is going to be touched on during the movie mm-hmm. i do want to mention that this does happen in the edwardian era which is a really really short period of time that has a name and it's from mm-hmm. 1901 to 1910 
right after the Victorian era, which lasted about 70 years. So Mm -hmm. one way you can tell that the sharp siblings are poor is because all of their clothing is actually around 20 years out of date. Like she mentions 10 years, but really, if you look at the sister's dress, it's it's about 20 years out of date. So Mm. really, really showing like you guys don't have any money even to get your previously existing dresses tailored into a more modern fashion. Yeah. They look, and they look slightly worn. Like they look pretty mm-hmm. obviously, but mm-hmm. definitely you can tell like it's all they have left kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, the Victorian era is full of death and mourning. Queen Victoria kind of like pushed that aesthetic during the time. Maybe not purposely, but since she was in mourning for her husband for 41 years. 40, geez. Yes. Basically, she never went out of mourning after he died. It just kind of trickled down and influenced the entire culture. And Mm. that also is what spurned like the Victorian mourning culture that we're more familiar with now, where people had like all these different rules of mourning and dress that could last anywhere from three months to two and a half years for the average hmm. person. Isn't that like, kind of like the only time the Western world had mourning rights like that? I'd say like as like a big collective, like mm. as in again, yeah, like using the term Western world white as Western, a collective. Say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> then then yeah. And it was interesting because a lot we all did it together and it was kind of this like weird agreed upon thing that we did mm-hmm. that steadily Actually, I'd say like really quickly lost fashion once we hit the 20s, just yeah. stopped. Yeah. I guess but, also because it was more like expected and more understood. Like there was like multiple pandemics happening at once back then. It was just like people are going to keep dying. So we got to figure yeah, some way of acknowledging it. Yeah. Right. So during this time period, it was a, a couple things were happening. Pretty much the big one was tuberculosis, which we also know as consumption, which is a bacterial disease that man, it's rough, but it basically makes you like your lungs deteriorate over time. And you just like cough up blood, become very waif-like because you lose a lot of weight. You become very weak. Weirdly also influenced like the fashion of the time looking waif-like and weak and pale was very in vogue. We joke about it now, but I didn't know like le- like legitimately yeah. at the time it was considered like romantic and like poetic. Yes, to get to get tuberculosis. Like, yes, okay. <laughs> it was very darkly romantic back yeah. in the day. Also, there was cholera, which is what either Edith's mom dies from, which is another bacterial disease that yeah. is caused by unclean water sources and not washing hands, basically fecal contamination in a water source we have sanitation now. So in the more developed worlds now or countries now, it's less common. And then the third one, of course, was syphilis, which (laughs) another bacterial disease. Um, So germ theory, you know, is was a savior to us. So all of that background is interesting to know when you get into the movie, because there is a lot of like not spoken about references to all of these things when you're watching. And if, if you know it, it like certain things make sense a little bit more. Like, why are they doing that? Oh, it's because they're in a period of mourning for this many months. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yay. So with that, ready to go? Yes. All right. Let's go. 
So the opening is the Universal and Legendary logos, which are completely colored crimson, which I was like, how much did y'all have to pay for that? But Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. And over it, there is a child singing some kind of lullaby. We see the first shot's actually the last shot, and it's Edith in some kind of fog or snow, covered in blood, stating with, with a narration that ghosts are real. Yeah. I That'd forgot... Be- I know we kind of mentioned it when we just talked about Pan's Labyrinth, but I forgot that it did the same the same thing of, of start with the end. <laughs> yeah. There's like a theme of books throughout both of them mm-hmm. and narration people telling like either their own story or the story of someone else to the audience. This movie actually, actually I learned this from Kaz because I guess I didn't catch it before. Edith is actually telling the story of her own life. Like she's the narrator in this. And Mm -hmm. she wrote a book called Crimson Peak, which is what we see first. Actually a book opens and then all of this happens. It's a little bit after, it's like after we see the the mom. Oh, I see it. Yes, Mm -hmm. I see it in my own notes that I wasn't looking at. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So we quickly go to her mother's funeral when she was 10. As I said, her mom died of cholera and... The night of the funeral, Edith is in bed during a storm and she sees the shadow of a clawed hand coming down the hallway, followed by a full body apparition of her mother in mourning clothes, which is interesting. Do you want to say, I was like, is this a reference to Nosferatu with the hands Mm. coming down the hall? You see like clawed hands and shadow. And I was like, very true. Yeah. Classic horror trope. Yeah. I, I was wondering why she was black. And that's one thing I, I also noticed in um like a quick snippet is Guillermo said, sometimes it made sense. And sometimes it was just aesthetic. Like I wanted to end start and end with a black colored ghost. And I wanted one white ghost and I wanted the rest to be red. <laughs> okay. Cause I was like, she wouldn't be in mourning clothes because she's the dead one and she's yeah. already in the grave. So she'd be yeah. in whatever clothing they felt. She'd be in a shroud actually. They, Another fun fact about the Victorians, the women actually, it was so morbid back then. You would just like sew your own burial shroud and like keep it under your bed. I saw that. <laughs> just really like when, when you die, it's very common. God, easy way to guilt the kids, I guess. Just like, could just you, like, just like, oh, yeah. oh, you wouldn't go get me my tea from the kitchen. Yeah. Okay. You just like add like another couple stitches to your burial shroud. It's like, wow. What in God's name? So... <laughs> The ghost actually comes into Edith's room and grabs her on the shoulder and tells her, beware of Crimson Peak. And the narrator says she would not hear that voice again for many years. And then she wouldn't understand this warning until it's too late. And then the book opens and brings us into Buffalo 14 Mm -hmm. years after the funeral. Buffalo. Edith is now a young woman. She'd be about 24 now. Walking through a busy square into a building. She is stopped by her friend, Dr. Allen, who tells her that he's setting up his practice upstairs. She's going to drop off a manuscript at a publisher and wants to like be there early in order to make some edits. They're interrupted by his mother and sisters. We're talking about a baronet who had come from England with his sister. Edith is not impressed at all. And Mm -hmm. the mother and sisters make fun of her for not being impressed like saying she'll be like Jane Austen and Daya Spencer. And she's like, I'd rather actually be like Mary Shelley and die a widow. Quick yes. aside. Mary Shelley is like OG, OG mm-hmm. goth girl. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> you might know her. You 
you should know her as the author of Frankenstein, which is really like the first sci-fi book. But she is the OG goth girl because when her husband died, she um, (laughs) kept his heart in a box, like in her house, in her bed, was it? I think in her bed, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She, yeah, paving the way. I mean. Poetry in motion. (laughs) (laughs) It really doesn't get more goth than that. Jesus Christ. Right. I didn't understand why Charlie's mom and sisters are so mean to her when like or sorry alan's when he must like he must be be cool i know sorry (laughs) (laughs) no it's okay (laughs) i didn't even catch it so the only thing i can think of is that like maybe she rejected him before oh and they're like bitter about it but Mm. like i look great though love the velvet lapels oh they all look great they look fantastic the costuming (laughs) is i mean impeccable so edith goes and meets with the publisher who is not impressed with her work which is also a ghost story the only thing he's impressed with is her handwriting because it's a handwritten manuscript Mm -hmm. later she's at lunch with her father and tells him the publisher asked her to change it into a love story she's pissed Uh she's pissed about this but he gives her a writing pin as a gift. And we also learn that he's like some kind of wealthy builder. Mm-hmm. And thinking, he's Bobby. He's Bobby. I know. <laughs> Supernatural before it got Sweet. what it became. Yeah. Once he <laughs> once he got died, it was over. Yeah. Anyway. So Edith is thankful, but says she would rather type it like on a typewriter since her handwriting is too feminine and it would give her away. And mm-hmm. she wants to submit it to the Atlantic, which side note, I guess, has been around since that, or right. at least that long. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> it was like a ye olde Kinko's after that. I wasn't <laughs> sure where she was exactly. Like, she was at her father's office. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And it looked like that might have been one of his secretaries mm, um, okay. teaching her how to use the typewriter. Mm. So it's like the front desk. So, she's at the front desk with the typewriter. When Thomas Sharp, the baronet, comes in for a meeting with her father, he spots her manuscript and says it's rather good and asks who wrote it. And she's like, I did. And I'm like, you looked at it for less than 30 seconds. There was like speed reading over here. He's like, oh, and this ghost. And it's like, how? Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like he's like, he saw like the word ghost and was like, I got it. I got enough to riff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I love he says, you see where I come from. Ghosts are not to be taken lightly. And it's like, oh, every other culture, they're yeah. just a joke. They're just <laughs> So, yeah, he's like super charming to her. Immediately, she's like, absolutely, yes. And her dad then shows up and is like, it's time for this meeting. Absolutely um, no. <laughs> yeah, and it was absolutely not. Because he comes in and is demonstrating a model for a clay harvesting machine that he's asking for funds to build. It's basically like a little toy version of the larger machine he wants to build. Of course, her dad stops him and is like, you have no proof of concept that a full-size machine would work. I see you've already tries to raise money in three other cities without success. And uh, then he goes on a speech about like bootstraps and working man's hands, which I was like, yeah, this is man. dumb. <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, we built this country on effort. And I was like, you didn't build this country. No. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Oof. Sharp is like, 
my will is just as strong as yours, even though like, no, I don't have like the working man's hands. Anyways, fair to say the meeting was a shit show and he did not (laughs) get what he wanted. Yeah. That night, her dad is going to a party and Edith is not going. Apparently she's known to like not go to these parties. He then tells her that Tom, not Thomas. Oh, Thomas will be there. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Thomas will be there. And he's like, I don't like him for reasons I have not figured out yet. Yeah. He's like, I don't like him and I don't know why. And I don't like that. I don't know why. (laughs) Oh my God. So she's completely blinded already. She's like, she can only see him as a dreamer who's trying to accomplish something and he's working hard. And you can tell that he's trying hard because his clothes are super out of date, but well tailored. And her dad's like, so first time i watched this i honestly kind of thought that he was gonna end up being like a vampire or something just because i was even surprised at like how much he glamored her already i was like like he literally just liked that there's ghosts in your book dude Mm -hmm. like that's it (laughs) i'm not sure i guess he's attractive sure but yeah i mean i feel like (laughs) since we don't find him like this like blindingly attractive man and i don't find him to be charming either I'm like, I don't get it. But again, I think it's something to remember is like, she is like Garamel said, mm-hmm. she's supposed to be this like young virginal like character mm-hmm. going into this situation, very much like, you know, Gothic stories, but yeah, it, she was blinded immediately. <laughs> she's a young sunshine goth. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Allen then comes with a car. So like the first types of cars to collect her father and he clearly favors dr allen as a match for edith mm-hmm. and then they leave so edith looks up allerdale hall or allendale hall and i was like conveniently you had a book that had this random baronet's like mansion in it great yeah but as she's doing this her door handle starts turning and her door opens by itself scaring her She goes to close the door and the handle starts moving on its own again. And she sees her mother's ghost at the end of the hallway. The ghost suddenly moves, prompting her to slam the door shut. Mm -hmm. And she asks her mom through the door what she wants. And the ghost like bursts through the door, telling her to beware (laughs) of Crimson Peak. I just have to say like, as scary as all the ghosts look in this movie, and Guillermo talks about this, he's like, my point in my movies is that people are always the actual villains. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like yeah. very clear about that. But I heard him say that. I thought back through all of his movies and that has held true in all yeah. of them. Absolutely. And I also love that like she knows this is her mom. Mm-hmm. And so like she's like she's understands that she's being given a message. And I just thought it was funny that like you thought a door could stop your mom. Yeah, right. I'm a ghost. <laughs> both. And your mother. Like so yeah, yeah, I'll I, take the I'm door off. Both a ghost and your mom. Yeah. I'll take I'll take this door off the hinges. <laughs> Then uh, her maid comes in. I mean, she's like scared, like staying on the floor, but her maid comes in and lets her know, like, Thomas is here to see her. Which I was like, how'd you get her own dress? But he charms her into accompanying him to the party. At said party, Lucille is playing the piano. Lucille is Thomas's sister, playing the piano to entertain the guests in like this extremely beautiful red silk gown that has mm-hmm. a really long train. But it is very out of date. In the Edwardian period, it was very common for all gowns to basically be off the shoulder and show a lot of like your shoulders and your clavicles. This is Victorian, right up to her chin. 
and super tight. The entire thing's extremely tight on her as well. Yeah. And, and none, none of that, like almost no waist, basically. It's like just tight the whole way down to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the huge train that looks like a pool blood. of blood. Yes. And the, the course or the lacing down the back looking like it's actually supposed to look like the ghost, the red ghosts. Mm-hmm. We'll see later. I see like it. The, the spine. Yeah. Even if you don't watch the movie, take five minutes. Look up the costuming in this. It is so Seriously. beautiful. Ugh, love it. So Thomas and Edith arrive and Thomas then shows the guests how to do the perfect waltz which was actually a new dance at this time. He chooses Edith to be his dance partner over one of um, Dr. Allen's sisters, who's everyone was expecting him to choose. And she's they, surprised, even though he like literally just went to your house to pick you right, up. Right, to like, get what you. What did you think he was going to do? <laughs> then ignore. <laughs> so like, that's not a friendship move, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So they Has dance. dance yeah, it's romantic. Candle. I thought it was kind of silly because he's like, the whole point is don't let the flame go out. And then immediately the flame looked like it was about to go out. I was like, you guys can CG the flame a little bit stronger. Like, yeah, a- <laughs> I noticed a couple times I was like, is it out? But it yeah. wasn't. It was <laughs> just, just like, like barely lit. It's fine. Her, you know, again, Ooh. I'm always really wary about love bombing in movies, like when I'm watching and in real life. So yeah. like this yeah. is another one, just like Midsummer with like quintessential love bombing techniques. Yeah. So I was immediately like, <sighs> heckles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Her and I, father, oh, and I love, I love her dress in this with like the like the neck thing. Uh-huh. I forget what it's called. Like, like I know that it's it's like a choker mm-hmm. she has, and it's like basically a spaghetti strap mm-hmm. gown. Like the call, it's like the collar thing. It was almost like a tiny. Oh, thing. yeah, that was her her evening cloak had mm, mm. like a standing collar it looked yeah. really beautiful so and she always wears gold in the beginning of this it's always like mm. some shade of gold gold or yellow yeah. so her father is not very happy about this turn of events just makes a very like grumpy grumpy man face the next day mr cushing her dad is shaving at his sports club when a man comes in and mr cushing asks him to go investigate the sharp siblings because he's like mm. something's wrong all of these scenes with this guy made me laugh because he's literally in it like like two seconds at a time. Like mm. it's like, hey, can you do this thing? Hey, I got that thing. Hey, I, remember me? I got that thing still. Like I'm I'm the PI. That's how I have him in my notes. The yeah. PI. Yeah. Owen from Torchwood and that dude from Pacific Rim. I don't even remember his name in Pacific Rim. Nope. He's he's Mr. Holly in this, just I as guess- a reference. Yeah, I guess he's just another person that Guillermo kept his email. <laughs> so, I mean, hey. he reuses actors yeah. frequently. So after this, Edith visits Alan at his office. He's an eye doctor. He shows her these glass uh, plates with latent images of like apparent ghosts. He's cute. like, hey, girl, I heard you like ghosts. <laughs> I, you know, like that's more of a way to charm me is yeah. what I'll say. <laughs> right. <laughs> I found these old, like, you know, tin type, like ghost photos. I'd be like, oh my God, you know me so well. (laughs) So his theory is that there are minerals in certain stones that can retain like impressions of people's essences. And then he like warns her to proceed with caution with the sharps, but she like, you know, waves him off. I also want to mention like spiritualism was a really big thing at this time as well, which 
I won't even get into because I could talk a lot about it. But Ouija boards came around at this time. Mediums were really big. The Fox Mm. sisters looked them up there from the Northeast. And they had a whole racket (laughs) of like Mm -hmm. fake mediums and spiritualism stuff. But it's very common. So many people were dying. People wanted to. Mm. Yeah, I think it all stems from the same place, getting more interested in like the macabre and the occult. Mm -hmm. I was just confused, like, where he got that. Like, like a normal eye doctor, you wouldn't come across something like that, I don't think. Like, he just has, he has a lot of interests, I guess. <laughs> He's an interesting man, unlike, yeah. unlike Thomas, actually. He is, yeah. <laughs> so another day, Edith is on a date with Thomas, with Lucille as a chaperone. And he is just, like, praising her book. Mm-hmm. Lucille is over there being creepy, clipping a chrysalis from a tree. And then make some like really long metaphors about how things in life are fragile and beautiful. Then she tells Edith that at their home, they only have moths that lack beauty, but are like hardy and they eat mm-hmm. butterflies to survive. And that's where we apparently get first get the metaphor that supposedly Lucille is the moth and Edith is the butterfly, mm-hmm. which I didn't get too much of the moth motif from Lucille, but Edith, they give the big lamb or leg of mutton sleeves a lot. Yeah, I think for me, the way to see the chrysalis is if you look at her, her really tight outfits, especially when we get back to like the mansion. Mm. I feel like that like tight blue, but with a lot of like ruching can be evocative of a chrysalis and then eventually once we see her out of the dress and she's in her night clothes and like that scene where she's like bustling down the stairs and her (laughs) night clothes are like billowing out i was like yeah there's the moth okay that's true yeah i can see it good point privately lucille and thomas talk about edith and lucille is like very sure that edith is the incorrect choice for whatever they're plotting But Thomas is insistent. He then takes the ring that Lucille is wearing to give to Edith. But Lucille's like, we're not giving her this ring. We're buying something with it. We're buying Edith with this ring. You're like, what is happening? Right. Stay tuned. (laughs) To (laughs) me, I also started getting the vibes here. I was like, something's off with her at least. She's creepy. Yeah. From the jump. You're like, oh, something's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I think hearing that Jessica Chastain chose to be here, I was like, you did a really good job. It's a good choice. Yeah. So back with Mr. Cushing and the investigator, he hands him a dossier on the siblings and says, is bad news. Do not open this in public. Read this in private. Yeah. Later that night at a party at Edith's house, Thomas is just about to propose to Edith. But Mr. Cushing stops it and he's like, Thomas, go get your sister and come with me to the study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of interesting because you're basically being like, because you're dad basically being move. called, yeah, like no. dad moved by someone else's dad and you're like right? a full adult. I feel like, <laughs> and like, go get your sibling too because like <laughs> it's trouble, trouble time. Yeah. Like, I feel like, what the fuck is happening? Right. <laughs> so in his office, he calls out the siblings on their bullshit directly especially thomas saying that i'm in love with your daughter he's like yeah 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 you said that already (laughs) like (laughs) tell him dad and basically tells him to like gtfo 
Mm-hmm. So he gives them a check of some indeterminate amount and tells them the check will clear. If you do these two things, one, there's a train to New York, New York city in the morning, you are to be on it. And two, Thomas needs to break Edith's heart that night. So he gives the check directly to Lucille though, because he's like, you seem like the more in charge. one." Yeah. <laughs> and he's not wrong. He is not. He is not. At the party, Mr. Cushing has Thomas announced that he's leaving. Edith is very upset and leaves the party. He then corners her outside, like in the hallway, and is just like mercilessly cruel to her, like cruel about her book, her notions of life and everything, right in front of all the other party guests that came out to like, you know, gawk at them. Yeah. And then, of course, she slaps him. And then she goes Everyone to her gasped. Yeah. yeah. Literally, it was one of those, like, like <gasps> canned noises. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so the next morning, uh, Mr. Cushing is, again, getting ready at his sports club. He's about to shave with his straight razor when he hears noise. I was going to say, Garamel's really good about these straight razor fake outs. Yeah. You think it's going to be that? It's not. <laughs> nope. So he, like, looks around doesn't see anything and he goes back to the sink when someone (laughs) it's Lucille you can actually tell because her hair's always done the same way comes Mm -hmm. up behind him and bashes his head into the sink killing him again fairly gruesome yeah I forgot how much it was I was like whoa 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah so back at the house Edith Mays knocks on the door with both the manuscript that Thomas had like told her he was going to leave for her and a note. She reads the letter first and it is all about like, your dad told me yeah. I had to do it. Yeah. It was so like, <laughs> Oh my God, Ew. Jesus Christ. Like, and I actually love you. And I swear I will come back when I have the means to prove to your father that I uh, am worth your time. And I'm just uh, like, oh my God. Real sad boy hours. Okay. I literally have it in my notes. I have it that he pulls some sad boy shit. Not in this scene, uh, but another one. It's like, oh yeah. Bah. That's his character for sure. <laughs> Seriously. So she goes running out to the hotel where he was staying to find him, but They've already left on the early train. She's sad, but of course, when she walks out of his empty hotel room, he's waiting for her in the hallway. I agree. Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> he gives some overly romantic speech that, of course, she falls for. This is where I have my notes about love bombing, but you mm-hmm. know, talked about. But it. also, just like so many of the things he said, like he said, break her heart. He didn't say like break her character. Like he mm-hmm. like attacked her like in so many different ways that I was like, I feel like you had that ready or mm-hmm. some of it. You know, it's not you putting on an act. Like that was like you actually expressing how you feel, and then you just get to write it off. It's like, oh no, your daddy told me to be mean. Like that's what it felt like. And mm-hmm. <sighs> but there, they finally kiss. And they're leaving and they're stopped by a police officer, it seems. I think he's a police officer. They don't have uniforms back then. So like, who could be sure? But they bring her to a morgue to identify her father's body. Alan arrives and says he can do it. He's been his physician for years. And they say, no, only Edith can make the positive ID. Yeah. And also, where was that? Like, how does Alan always know where she is too? Like, I know he's a better guy, but he's like, just such a white knight again of like, no, yeah. I can let me save you. No. Yeah, let me yeah. I just figured 
talk gets around in this like small community of rich people yeah in buffalo so like they make the comment while she's iding the body of like she's like what happened and he's like well we saw we found him at his sports club he he was there was a lot of water he'd fall in i'm like if that's what it was supposed to look like she way overdid it like who falls and like smash smash smashes their head like well that's how uh our, our dear, or what do you call them? IPI? IPI, white knight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how he figures it out later that that's definitely not what happened because his face was like completely caved in. I just think it's so crazy that like there's already a PI established, hired by somebody who was killed. And like mm-hmm. that guy could have, that guy could have solved it. Why mm-hmm. does Charlie have to solve it? I, I don't mean- know. Other than <laughs> just to be like the perfect man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I also have another question on him, but we'll get to that much later. Mm-hmm. So she has a breakdown, of course, seeing her father's body in, in the state that it's in. And it really made me sad because like, she's like, what did she say? He's turning uh, 60 next week. He's turning he 60 next week. And he's doesn't like to look his age. Yeah. He doesn't like to look his age. That's why he dresses so well. And that's why he goes on like such long walks. And I was like, Oh. my dad's like that yeah and then it made me sad yeah <laughs> it was really sad her acting was very good but of course who's there to comfort her but dear sad boy thomas i'm here <laughs> i'm here with you even though i missed you literally like less than a week ago right but they hold a funeral for mr cushing and we see that edith is now wearing the sharp ring yeah and i was sad we couldn't really see her her morning outfit here because it looked pretty from what we could see all the black I was like mm. yeah she was like tucked against thomas like like a little bird yeah which um, to me i don't know it's like she's like so close with her father and like i feel like the, the best way to respect him at that moment would like to not be with thomas like at least at his funeral shit <laughs> yeah maybe but she was sad she needed some support. yeah sad needed comfort he's yeah. here mm-hmm. she's already blinded by yeah love infatuation yeah so now we are at allerdale hall aka crimson peak the couple arrives to their new home and they're greeted by a groundsman who says he's like oh this is my new wife and he's like you've been married a while but then like w- doesn't elaborate and just walks away yeah and she's like why did you say that he's like i'm not sure why i don't said know that. oh well. i don't know why he said that yeah <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> Edith also just, finds a dog. A dog. Yeah. That Thomas seems very distressed to see, but allows Edith to keep. I really wanted it to end up being a ghost dog. Honestly, I wanted it to be a ghost dog. <laughs> it wasn't decrepit enough for the ghosts in this movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so then he brings her inside and we finally see the hall. It is beautiful. It is mm-hmm. old and crumbling and so beautiful. Like, yes. think of all the beautiful woodwork you can imagine. It was there, mm-hmm. but it's going to shit. <laughs> like, there's literally a hole from the roof all the way down into the main foyer. Yeah. Um, it's also literally sinking down into the mines. So when he steps on different places in the floor, like red, wet clay comes up. Yeah, looking very much like blood. Mm-hmm. And I guess they, I mean, it's not that long of a trip from New York to England, but mm. you had time to mention any of this, didn't you? Like, 
So later, she says, oh yeah, right. So I know I said I had a house and that is technically true. Um, It is falling apart and is sinking. Um, In every way. Yeah. Very disgusting, but that's where we're living. So I'm a baronet. Did I mention? Well, she likes gothic stuff. So she does. She does. That's true. There is a, like a motif of dead things throughout the house. She goes to go take her hat off with her hat pin, which side note made a like shing sound. And I was like, yeah. love it. But the counter is like covered in dead and dying flies. There's dead leaves everywhere. And then behind her in the mirror, she sees a ghost walking in the mirror. She goes to investigate and finds an elevator in the kitchen that moves up quickly. And then she tells Thomas, hey, I saw a ghost in the elevator. And he's like, no. The damp affects the wiring, and then the elevator just does does whatever it wants. He also tells her to never, yeah, a shadow, Uh to never go down below like that main level of the house because the like mines are dangerous. Hmm. Hmm. Lucille comes in and is startled by the dog, and her and Thomas hug for way too long. Yeah, to the point where like. Lucille's having a full conversation with Edith while still hugging <laughs> Thomas. And Edith's just sitting there like, what is happening? All right. right? Yeah. yeah. They're both wearing the same color blue yes. of velvet. And um, Lucille's has like the nice like um, embroidery of like dead leaves and dead things all mm-hmm. over like black lace. It's pretty. Lucille is extremely rude to Edith, but Edith responds with grace and is like, I hope we can be friends and we can have like a warm relationship. And Lucille is like, no, thank you. Speaking about warm though, you should go upstairs and go get warm and like sends her off to go have a bath. And she's like, I'll make you some tea. And so Thomas is like bringing her away. But before she Mm -hmm. leaves, Edith is like, I'd like a copy of the house keys at this time. Each door in a house would have a different lock on it. And pretty much the only people who would have keys to everything is like the lady of the house and maybe the head housekeeper. Housekeeper. Mm -hmm. Everyone else would just have like keys to whatever they just need. And Lucille is not having it. She just said, you don't need him. No, you don't need him. (laughs) She said, if you familiarize yourself with the house and then you still feel like you need keys, then we'll discuss it. And I was like, mm. oh, geez. Yeah. Again, showing who's actually boss here. Yes. Who's the lady of the house? It's, mm. it's Lucille. Mm-hmm. Edith then runs the bath, which first runs red like blood because of all the clay in the ground. But eventually it does go clear. Downstairs, Thomas and Lucille talk about the dog who should apparently be dead and how they're still waiting on Edith's money to arrive. Lucille is upset that Thomas chose Edith over someone who would have been easier to get the money from and also manipulate. Although I feel like not because like he was considering one of the sisters and it's like, they have multiple other family members. Like they got the brother, the other sisters, the mom, you have to kill so many the dad. People. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much like, work. It was easy. Yeah. I know. So in the bath, Edith is playing fetch with the dog while she's like in the tub, just tossing the ball down the hallway. But after a while, 
like the dog and the ball stop coming back. A woman's form, a ghost, begins to creep down the hall. And while Edith is, she gets out of the bath and puts on her robe, while her back is turned, we get a good look at the ghost. It is all red, like the clay. Its ring finger is chopped off and is missing chunks of its head and is mostly skeletal in most places. Mm -hmm. Edith turns back around and it's gone. The dog comes back. And then after like a minute or so, then the ball comes rolling back without anyone actually being there. (laughs) Thomas brings her tea in a sitting room. She doesn't like it, but keeps drinking it out of politeness. You don't know. She's like, it's bitter. And he's like, nothing good grows. Everything's bitter here. Oh, yeah. everything's awful. You have to have some bitterness about you to survive here. And I was like, Ugh. oh my God. God seriously. <laughs> this just begins his, like, from now on, pretty much. He's just always like, oh, isn't everything awful? Oh, you hate it, don't you? Oh. <laughs> yes. Stop. I get it's it. Miserable. So miserable. So Thomas tells her about more issues with the house. I mean, the house is falling apart mm-hmm. and he eventually leaves her and he's like, Oh, if you're sleeping by the time I get there, don't worry. And then he leaves her and we see that Lucille's actually been spying on them through the keyhole. Ugh. Super creepy. Yeah. Edith wakes up the next morning to Lucille playing the piano and they have a conversation about the siblings childhood. Long story short, they're shit. They're confined to the attic her mother was the only one who was allowed to play the piano and she was generally a terrible person mm-hmm. then they have a conversation they like move rooms they go into a library they have a conversation about secrets and lucille pries into to know if edith and thomas have had sex yet they haven't edith is disappointed in this fact because they've been married for a little while now and mm-hmm. lucille is pleased but Real weird. Yeah. So back in Buffalo, real quick, Alan is looking in on the liquidation of the Cushing's estate and finds, I don't know how else to call it, but the receipt for Mr. Cushing's writing the Sharps a check. Yeah. This makes him suspicious. So he goes and goes to like the sports club and looks over like the, the bathroom sink where Mr. Cushing died. And I was like, I don't know what you're supposed to derive from that ipi on the case yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so there's nobody else i just think it's crazy that nobody else put it together went through his things like mm. <laughs> what especially his lawyer he has a personal lawyer that's handling all his affairs and again somebody a pi he'd already hired <laughs> like, i don't know okay whatever <laughs> good job alan Back at Crimson Peak, Edith visits the old nursery in the attic and finds it full of moths. She hears moaning, and we see a really faint figure of a ghost sitting in a wheelchair. She doesn't seem to see this ghost, though, but it is, like, extremely faint. Mm-hmm. Even for the, the mother? No, that one was the first wife, the oh, one who okay. was confined to the wheelchair. Oh, okay, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She visits Thomas' workshop where he, essentially he's a toy maker. And he's a good toy maker. I was like, sell your toys. Right. Make your money that way. I feel like it was focused on like how he's kind of stuck in his childhood mentally. And also like your your workshop is in the attic, which you were confined to your whole life. 
You wouldn't put it downstairs. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. She is just like, so you were always alone in the attic. And he was like, yep. <laughs> Still in said attic. He shows her some of his toys and she's like, oh, wow. Like, cool. And he's like, you're so different from ever. And she's like, from who? And he's like, everyone. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ. And it also like, how is she di- like what? Nobody was ever in for like, oh, your stupid toys. Like, right. How is it? Your other Whatever. three wives were just like, this yeah. is dumb. <laughs> so anyway, they start to make out and Lucille bursts in the room with like a, a tray of tea and is like, it's time for tea. Yeah. <laughs> Both oh Edith God. and Thomas are obviously disappointed to be interrupted. Edith drinks the tea after basically being told she had to. Mm-hmm. And then she suddenly wakes up that night in her bed without Thomas being there. She goes uh, searching for him throughout the halls and she hears something from in, from like inside of a room and she thinks it's the dog. But when she opens the door, she doesn't look yet, but she turns on the hall because the dog's in the hall with her barking. Mm-hmm. And then a ghost, you like see its face. It's actually like, it reminds me of like Japanese horror, how we see ghosts yeah. sometimes. Like really quick, really distorted face and it slams the door back. And so when mm-hmm. she opens it again, it's gone, but she finds a container full of wax cylinder recordings. Yes. She is about to leave. Like she doesn't take the wax cylinder. Just like, it's like, oh, like that's here. And she's about to leave. But then a ghost comes up through the floor, moaning and crawling loudly after her. She runs away, gets into the elevator, which takes itself down to the clay mines. The dog again runs away. <laughs> And she hears more moaning and she finds a travel trunk with the initials ES on it and a little tag that says Enola. Mm -hmm. Later, Thomas is trying to get his machine to work when Edith comes out and asks if anyone's ever died in the house. He's like very nervous about it. He's like, oh, it's an old house. Uh, Of course people have died here. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, this isn't a good time for you to be asking me. And then he burns his hand, I think, on steam from the machine. Yeah, that part confused me because it doesn't really go. I mean, she helps him wrap it, but that's kind of it. I mean, what could you do about burns in the fucking early 1900s? Right. Nothing. You just mostly just like, what's the point of it? Because it doesn't really stop him either from. I guess nothing for the day. It. Yeah. I don't know. Right. The point of this is she bandages his hand, and this is where I said he did a sad boy routine uh-huh. about uh-huh. being a failure. Yeah. Oh, oh God. What uh, am I even doing? Why am I doing this? Why did I bring you here? Uh. Sad boy. Ugh. And then he's like, anyway, it's about to snow, and that's why they call it Crimson Peak. And she's like, and what? So, what'd you say? And it's he's cool. like, yeah, like when it snows. And if like the clay sleeps up through the snow and turns the entire property red. And she's startled, of course, to hear about this because her mother's ghost has been warning her about this place for a long time. Yeah. Quickly back in Buffalo, Alan tells the lawyer that uh, all of this with the sharps feels and sounds weird. And then finally the lawyer's like, well, just so you know, Mr. Cushing 
did hire a PI that uncovered some unsavory facts about the Sharps before he died. I'm like, did you tell the cops that? What? Right. <laughs> no. I, mean, it didn't I know seem relevant then. Right. I know they weren't great at their jobs back then, but like, Jesus, this is pretty yeah. cut and dry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back at Crimson Peak, Edith dreams about a ghost standing on a hill pointing to something in the distance. Here's what I feel about this. I think the imagery is really cool, but it actually doesn't serve a function in the movie. So I think Guillermo or someone else had this image of the ghost doing that in their head. And they're like, I want to incorporate that somehow. Right. Yeah. Because it's just, it's, we don't even see what it's pointing at. Nope. I think it's just the house, but it's like, yeah, I'm in the house. Thanks. God. Thank (laughs) you. I am here. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's cool imagery. But she wakes up coughing up blood and finds her bed empty. All this time, Edith is slowly getting weaker and weaker and coughing more and more, much like consumption. Mm. I was also confused. The ghost says his blood will be on your hands. and I, I don't know what she meant by that. Right. We didn't get to that. That's in two seconds. But oh, I don't sorry, know sorry. what she meant by that. Sorry. <laughs> so she finds her bed empty. She goes looking for Thomas yet again. and. Before she does that, she's like, hey, ghost that I definitely know is here. Touch mm. my hand if you're in the room with me. And we see like a skeletal skeletal ghost walk behind her. And then her arm is violently grabbed and pulled down. She hears a woman screaming in the bathroom and then sudden silence and then children laughing. She goes in and finds the red ghost in the tub with a cleaver in its head. It gets out of the tub and Edith runs away. The ghost says, leave now and his blood will be on your hands. And I was like, I don't. Here's what I think she meant by that. Actually, I'm going to say that to the end and I'll tell you then what I think she meant by that. Okay. Remind me if I forget. I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Lucille and Tom has come from wherever they were. And she tells them, hey, there was a ghost and it was saying these things they were like no no you're just imagining things Mm -hmm. and she's like no i gotta get out of here and they're like no and thomas is like well i need to go to like the post office tomorrow so you can come with me yeah okay (laughs) i was thinking that and i was like could you imagine now it's like oh you need to get out of the house well i need to go to the post office so (laughs) but it's back in the day the post office is a little bit more than what it is now yeah and further away a little bit farther (laughs) so he's like just come with me tomorrow and you'll be able to get some fresh air lucille is pissed that he even suggested this and when the siblings leave her lucille asks how can she know about mother and he he's like i don't know and reiterates like i'm gonna take her to the post office tomorrow for her fresh air lucille says once edith signs all the paperwork she wants this quote over with like yeah that's that's the plan the point that's the plan at the depot next day edith picks up some mail addressed to her along with mail coming from milan a place she's never been to and doesn't know anyone but it's dressed to e mrs e sharp so she's like all right it's me yeah and there's a quick scene of um like again another two second scene of holly Mm -hmm. the pi and alan the ipi meeting up and being like uh, Mr. Holly telling him that Mr. Sharp was already married. 
Right. Yes, that did happen. <laughs> the snow is coming down pretty hard at this point. So Thomas and Edith decide just to stay at the depot because there's like a little room they could stay in rather than trying to travel in the bad weather. I see your eyebrows going. <laughs> I see them. <laughs> Quickly back in Buffalo, Alan gets her new address from the hotel. Is that's where the Sharps like put their forwarding mail address to, which I was like a little bit creepy. Right. A little bit creepy. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is when I have it. This is when the PI gives him. Oops. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. So anyway, Thomas is already married. We know this. Mm-hmm. Back at the depot, Edith starts asking him about Italy very pointedly, but then doesn't push it too far because she's like, anyway, we're here alone. We should mm. definitely have sex now. And so they do. Imagine and trying to get past 14 layers of tools. So many layers. <laughs> so many layers. And it's interesting that this is rated R and, you know, maybe the actress didn't want to. Zero nudity on her part. Like she's fully dressed in her 18 layers. Right. I yeah. was like, this is more power to you. But we do see some pale, fleshy Hiddleston butt. We do. We do see that. <laughs> Also, the lighting is all very gold in this scene, which I feel like only happens when Lucille is not around and Mm -hmm. um, Edith can finally be her true golden girl self. Mm -hmm. R.I.P. Betty White. I know. I feel like we were just talking about her before that happened. I swear we were. And I swear the media jinxed her. But seriously, she was like, what, two weeks away from me? Two weeks. Well, The next day, (laughs) they arrive back at the house and Lucille is very, I don't know how to explain it, cold and weird and like physically violent towards Edith once she realizes that they had sex. Edith is Mm -hmm. scared because she's like throwing pots of food around the room. Yeah. Edith is like, I don't feel well. And Lucille immediately snaps back into character and is just like, I'll make you some tea. Mm -hmm. And while her back is turned, Edith takes the key that says Enola on it. And she goes back to her rooms and one of the letters that she got at the depot is for the final transfer of funds from her account to the Sharps account. But before signing, she opens the letter from Milan. She can't read it, but it's labeled to someone named Enola. So she's like, what's that? Mm -hmm. She goes down to the basement, back to that travel trunk. And in it, she finds a gramophone, which will allow her to listen to the wax cylinder she found. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is like a video game. Sometimes. I literally wrote that. It felt like Silent <laughs> Hill or something like, oh, now I can go back to that other place that I know right. those things are. Yeah. Yeah. Unlocked. <laughs> and then she finds some other documents listing all of the other places her father said the sharp said the sharps had tried to raise capital. So London, Glasgow and Milan. And mm-hmm. they're like little dossiers each. And then while she's already snooping, I just love it. She just proceeds to like not give a fuck and just breaks a padlock. <laughs> Listen, the the that was making noise. There's like all these vats of clay, wet clay in the basement. And one of them starts like jangling and shaking. And so she's like, well, and takes a rock and like just yeah. busts the lock open and yeah. opens the top and then takes some rebar. This is actually what it was. And starts like stirring around in the clay. She doesn't wait long enough. Right. She, she walks away. But after she walks away, like a skeletonized body then like rises to the surface. Mm. <laughs> Outside, while this is all happening, 
Thomas tells Lucille that the machine is actually working. Lucille's upset because he wants Edith to also see that the machine's working. And he's she's just jealous. She's jealous that he wants someone else to be involved in anything he likes. We did this. Yes. So he's like, we need more coal and asks if she will like spare some. I'm assuming she's the one who handles all the inventory for the house. And she's like, fine. And like grabs her keys and notices that Enola's key is missing. She goes inside where Edith is like evading her throughout the hallways and tricks her into leaving the keys so she can replace the one that she stole. Oh, and I forgot to mention it earlier, but when um, this is a good time too, because she's like pretending to sit in the chair and feel tired. Mm-hmm. Another cool thing about the set design is they made multiples of certain pieces of furniture. So like this chair, they made it in a size 30% larger and a size 30% smaller. Uh-huh. So that earlier when she was feeling sick and scared, like when she's like, I saw a ghost, I heard ghosts. She was sitting in the big chair. Uh-huh. So she would look really little. And here she's sitting in the small chair. So she looks really big and strong. Oh. Yes. Guillermo just thinks of everything. <laughs> also, she's back to wearing yellow in this mm-hmm. scene again. She had been slowly incorporating more and more and more of like dark colors and more like grays into mm-hmm. her wardrobe. But now in this scene where she's like doing her thing, yes. she's back in yellow. I was like, yes. Get him, Edith. Right. <laughs> so Lucille is creepy and obviously notices that the key has been returned once she walks out of the room. Mm-hmm. So now she knows, Edith knows. I, w- I also wrote the note of like, if Edith were, I mean, I think Edith's smart, but like, if I she kept really smart. Yeah, I would have kept like, the key. like, you must have lost it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, because they're trying to gaslight you being like, you're not seeing ghosts, stop it. You could be like, you're crazy. You thought that I took the, I didn't take the key. Oh, like, what? You're, you've been acting weird. Yeah. <laughs> you took, I took a what? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Listen. Got to play the game. (laughs) (laughs) That night, Edith listens to the wax cylinders. She hears that it's Pamela, the first wife, who was wheelchair bound, is talking. She's just, you know, doing like all the fun, silly recordings everyone does when they first record themselves. Like, I'm going to sing a little song. I'm going to do this or that. Ha ha. Uh So that's all playing in the background while she's looking through all these different dossiers on these women. Yeah. First one's on Pamela. We see pictures of her. Second one is Margaret from Scotland who had the dog. And the mm. third one is Enola, who we also see holding a baby. And mm. then we see a death picture of a baby. Death pictures were, death photographs rather, were really common at the time. Getting your photograph taken was extremely expensive. And you would have to sometimes sit still for 10, 15 minutes while the photograph developed. And a lot of people couldn't do that, especially children and babies. So also, unfortunately, there's a very high mortality rate, especially in children. So they would just take the picture after they died, just to have something to remember them by. Mm-hmm. Pamela, who's leading the recording, brings in Thomas at this point and is trying to get him on it. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know what to say. And she's like, well, say that you love me. And he's like, ha I'll just tell a little nursery rhyme instead. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so real rude. cold-hearted shit. Yeah, <laughs> I've I have a lot of thoughts about Thomas. <laughs> yeah. So um, we see like this progression of shit that's happened, but then Pamela bursts back onto the scene and she's like, "Yo, listen, I'm just trying to tell y'all that I want to leave, 
but I can't. Again, she's wheelchair bound. And this is like some random place in the middle of the countryside. Mm-hmm. And the siblings only want her for her money. And she's like, I want y'all to know they did this to me and that the poison is in the tea. Mm-hmm. So Edith just, hears this, remembers all the different times that they've given her tea. And she's like, fuck. And, then she and so, and then she coughs blood, you know, yeah. as one does. Mm-hmm. She's just like, I'm out. I'm gone. So she tries to go literally run out the front door in her night clothes, but it's still snowing and it's basically a blizzard outside. So she can't. And she comes back inside all the while coughing up blood and she passes out on the staircase. Later, she wakes up in her bed with Lucille just like being right there. In the hallway, holding just waiting for her to wake up. Tea. Yeah. Edith says she needs to go into town to see a doctor. But Lucille's like, we're snowed in. You can't go anywhere. Edith won't drink the tea, but does eat the porridge Lucille feeds her. And I was like, I wouldn't take shit from this lady at this point. Right. Lucille tells her that she tended to her own mother in that bed after their father, who, quote, was a brute, broke her leg. All of this is extremely sinister while this is happening. Super sinister. Yeah, she's like, I fixed her and I'll fix you. Yes. Ah. My pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, like, a <laughs> wicked witch. Mm-hmm. Before Lucille can force the tea on Edith, Thomas comes in with, uh, like, the wheelchair that was Pamela's, like the one from the attic. Ooh. Yeah. After Lucille leaves, Thomas tells Edith to never drink the tea. And I was like, don't, don't act like you're a good person now. Right. You've been you poisoning me in the first place. How mm-hmm. long? Mm-hmm. Thomas then goes downstairs and is like, Lucille, Edith is dying. And she's like, yeah, duh, we've been poisoning her. <laughs> like, what do you? And Thomas is, um, is upset. And I have it in my notes, quote, even though he's literally killed like three women by this point. But she's not like the other girls, Ashley. He says that, I know. (laughs) I hate it. I love this movie. It's great. (laughs) She explains that like, we have to keep going because like she knows everything. And if they find out, they're going to send me away and they're going to hang you. So we're in this shit together and we must always stay together. Mm-hmm. Alan. And she says like, I know you won't leave me. And he's like, I can't leave you. And she's like, yes, good. Yeah. Like, oh, toxic. Yeah. Alan or yeah. IPI. IPI. <laughs> <laughs> arrives at the depot and they're like, you can't continue with your horse because it's too tired. And we can't give you a horse because we're closed. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, then I'll have to go on foot. And they're uh-huh. like, it takes four hours to get there guess i better start verbatim <laughs> <laughs> what he said and he just like goes out uh, white night's gonna white night okay <laughs> so edith is coughing up a ton of blood but mm-hmm. goes out into the hallway in the wheelchair she hears a baby crying and she sees the ghost of enola and the baby that she's holding floating in the middle of the foyer she's like what do you want me to see and the ghost points up to the attic she goes up Edith and there she catches Lucille and Thomas being intimate mm-hmm. is how I wrote it I was like should I write what she's doing it or should I just say that and I'll just say that it's either yeah right before or right after I don't know they just they're kind of just caressing each other back like back oh no her hand is down his pants oh is it oh yeah 
yeah, yeah, oops. yeah. Oops. A lot going on there. So at this point, someone's also knocking on the door. There's a lot of shit happening at the same mm-hmm. point. She runs away in disgust, but Lucille follows her and is like, yes, this is who we really are. This is who I really am. And he really is. And mm-hmm. um, now they're all in their night clothes too. Yeah. So everything's out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everyone's bare to the world. Mm-hmm. And Edith is like, oh, like you're not really siblings. And Lucille's like, oh no, we, we are. are. Yeah. And then like pushes her over the third floor railing where mm-hmm. then she proceeds to hit the second floor railing and then fall onto the foyer floor. Mm-hmm. Then she wakes up. Alan is there, set in her leg. Mm-hmm. And she tells him like, my mom tried to warn me. And uh, he also sees at this point, she's drugged. She has to be drugged because he had set her leg. He also sees like she has damage where her wedding ring was, which mm-hmm. was clearly ripped off her finger. And guess who's wearing it now? It's Lucille. Just so dumb too, because like he was at the funeral where she was wearing the ring. So he, and that's a big ring. Like he would have yes. remembered it if he hadn't even already seen that her ring is damaged. Her it's too is damaged. big. Yes. Too big, too big of a <laughs> ring. It's ugly, it's gaudy. Yeah. I met a woman that had an engagement ring like that. It was a big inch. <laughs> it was it was a friend of a friend. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I don't know this woman. So like, I kind of don't care. But like, look at me. I'm married. Look at it. it think about like a river stone, <laughs> like a light colored river stone carved into her heart. Oh, God. And that's what it was. And I was oh, like, God. I don't even know. I've never seen such a thing. And um, it was like the size of a ring pop. I'm not oh kidding. Oh my God. I'm not kidding. Ask Fee. She knows what I'm talking about. Oh goodness. It All was right. a lot. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's about that size. <laughs> this <laughs> ring that's too big. So Lucille and Thomas leave the room and Lucille grabs a knife and is like, well, <laughs> I guess in for a penny and for a pound, we got to yeah. stop Alan. Alan is trying to like, leave literally just walk out the door with uh, carrying her yeah. carrying her into a blizzard with no <laughs> coats. clothes yeah Ugh. so obviously that's a terrible idea <laughs> <laughs> they stop him and he says he knows he's they've been poisoning her and i was like how how sway how he knows he's a knower of things he's <laughs> the ipi sees yeah. all <laughs> Exactly. So, so he pulls out a news article from his pocket talking about their mother's death and like heavily implies that Lucille was the one of the two of them to kill their mother. And also like BT dubs, Thomas is already married. So like really big <laughs> reveal. Yeah. Happening. Just dropping knowledge. Yep. So oh, uh, it also says that like Thomas uh, was sent away like to school and that it seems like Lucille was sent to a coven school, but he thinks she was probably sent somewhere else. Yeah. Like a, like a old asylum. Yeah. Or whatnot. Yeah. How intense the, the implying that it was Lucille because he said like the real truth was too horrible to even imagine, to even speculate. It's like, all right. Hmm. Anyway. So he's like, we're leaving. And Lucille's like, uh-huh, no, uh-huh, no. uh-huh. And then as he's <laughs> passing, she stabs him under the left arm. Yeah. Then she sends Thomas to him to go finish the job. She's like, go get your hands dirty. <laughs> but Thomas is like, Alan, you're a doctor. Where should I stab you that you will not die? Mm-hmm. 
I'm like fake stabbing him then. She's not going to go inspect, but right. Whatever. So Alan does, he's like here. And so he stabs him there. And then he takes Alan down to the clay mines and is like, listen, the shafts open, escape out the open shaft. I'm going to try to go get Edith. Mm-hmm. Lucille is upstairs with Edith trying to make her sign uh, the papers to give her wealth away, which I was just like, Lucille, it's over, girl. What do you think is going to happen here? Right. Alan's family knows where he is. If he's just suddenly gone, they're not going to be like, I wonder if this family was really had yeah. four wives <laughs> disappear or die, had anything to do with this. How weird. Ugh. Anyway, she's like, hand over your money. You have nothing left to live for anyway. Lucille then burns Edith's manuscript and is like, oh, she thinks she's a writer. And Edith questions her about the baby. And she's like, you killed a Nola's baby. And she's like, oh, no, no. That was my baby with Thomas and I was born with defects. And Enola said she could save it, but couldn't. So she killed Enola. Like, what? A- okay. Yeah. So then she goes on like her own personal monologue about love and the monstrous things people do for love. It's, oh, yeah. you know. I don't know why, like, but just Jessica just Chastain, I didn't expect her to say it, I guess, but she was like, uh, you're the like Thomas never fucked the other one. So yeah, like, that was oh. interesting. I was like, oh, <laughs> is that what we're doing? Oh, yeah, never fucked the other wives. And I was like, like oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> As she's like giving her villain monologue, she cuts off a lock of Edith's hair and braids it. And then we see that she actually has a collection of every other person she's killed, including her mom. A serial killer. She's a serial killer. Ooh. Ah. Girl boss. <laughs> oh my god. Girl boss things. Uh, Cut a lock of hair from your victim. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Like, like 101. God. She then keeps going and confirms like her mother found out about her and Thomas, which is why she actually ended up killing her at the end of the day. And then, yes, she was the one to kill Edith's father. Mm-hmm. Once Edith hears this, she's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then takes the pen her dad gave her and stabs. Lucille in the chest. Yes. Again, women not doing double taps in this his movies. She just leaves her to die. And I was like, stab her more. Right. She did it. So she just like leaves her. her weapon. Yeah. Right? She has a knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the baby's got a knife. <laughs> Is that a vine? Who knows? <laughs> so she runs to the elevator, but Thomas has now come up and he's like, hey. I know you hate me, but Alan's still alive and he's in the clay mines. And I really did love you. And, you know, just this last time you'll have to trust me. And so she does, I guess, because he goes off to confront Lucille more and he burns the papers that she signed, giving away her fortune. So now they can't collect. Mm -hmm. And Thomas is like, Lucille, let's just leave. Let's just go have our own lives together. We can go anywhere. He says we can all be together. That was his problem because mm-hmm. he weirdly included Edith in that statement. And I was like, like Edith would wanted- not go with you. <laughs> yeah. She's not coming. She's uh, not married to you. <laughs> like this is it. Crazy. This is grounds for a divorce. Yeah, very clearly. <laughs> yes. And uh, he's basically like, 
I love Edith too. And I'm sorry that I said I would never fall in love with anyone else, but I did. And it was bad to happen. Yeah. And so Lucille's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she stabs him to death (laughs) in the chest and in the face, which I forgot about again. (laughs) Was the other side to Vidal in Pan's Labyrinth. Vidal has it on his right side and this is on the left side, but it's the same exact location. So interesting. Yeah. And deep in there. Real deep. Yeah. Real deep. She's upset with his death, even though she's literally the one who just killed him. Mm. And for some reason, <laughs> Edith didn't run away during all of this. She was actually waiting for Thomas at the elevator. Why? And then she starts to head back to the room like, Thomas, here they are. <laughs> and so, of course, you hear Lucille just like wailing. Mm-hmm. And then Lucille like comes around the corner very dramatically. And chases her down the hall with a knife. Yes. She's she's able to get down the elevator before Lucille can enter. This is the Mm -hmm. scene where I was like, moth. Lucille is coming down the stairs and she has these like dark gray or navy, I couldn't tell, bedclothes. Mm -hmm. And it is like billowing out like a moth's wings while she's running down the stairs. Screech, shrieking. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Great imagery. Mm -hmm. So first, Edith stops in the kitchen grabs a knife from the drawer. Yes. And as she's trying to get back into the elevator, Lucille shows up and uh, tries to get in. So she just like chops at Lucille's hand. She gets caught in the face, but she manages to get down into the clay mines. Yeah. Like bashes her arm with the door. I was like, yes. Good move. Good move. Door bashing. She, <laughs> yeah. she did good when she needs to in a clutch. <laughs> she's got it. <laughs> So she finds Alan down there somehow still awake, even though he's very much so losing blood. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, all right, I'm going to hide you. We're going to do this. You got it. She puts the knife down. She puts the knife down. But it's okay because she picks it up in a bit. Yeah. But when Lucille comes down, she's like, I'll tell you you a secret. Mm -hmm. Right before they took me away after after I murdered my mom. Mm-hmm. I hid the knife and she like pulls up a flagstone and there's just like a giant rusty Machete. cleaver there. Yeah. Cleaver. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, what is the game? Is the Alice, what is it called? Alice. Yeah. The dark Alice. Yes. This, this equals the dark descent. Yeah. Yes. Think, yeah. Uh, it's like that, like cleaver, rusty cleaver. It is. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so her and Edith have like a really quick, like knife standoff. And then Edith like turns and runs up the excavator to outside and they play cat and mouse in the snow for a while. Yeah. And she's like, skr, 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 so yeah. fast. <laughs> <laughs> Lucille's able to slash Edith with her cleaver, but Edith asks, like Edith picks up a shovel, but then asks Thomas's ghost to help her. He is standing behind his sister and she becomes like mesmerized basically by his ghost Mm-hmm. And so Edith bashes Lucille's head in with a shovel because yeah. Lucille keeps saying, either you're going to have to kill me or I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And so she repeats herself. She repeats herself. And then, yeah. you know, Edith bashes her again. She's like, I heard you the first time. And I was like, <laughs> now that's a good line. That that's was. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Edith Thomas has like was- this final moment with thomas's ghost which i was like he was a piece of shit but he was. you know we all have to have closure and also the worst looking ghost like it the looks ghost. it looks bad 
Yeah. <laughs> looks bad. Actually, I'd I'd say these two ghosts that we're about to see are are the worst looking ghosts. Yeah. So her narration comes in and says like ghosts are real and, and like are basically stuck to a place of either crime or object or just certain locations. We see the men from the depot arrive to rescue Edith and IPI. Yeah, now who made it? She, he made it. He's alive. <laughs> and we have like a pan through the house to see the ghost of Lucille is also trapped in the house playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. Yeah. Yeah. Book ended with the black ghost. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which would make sense because she would be mourning her brother. I her guess. brother. Well, her dress actually was was the same blue tight dress with the dead mm. vines that we mm. see throughout the rest of the movie. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So whose blood was on her hands? It was Thomas's. Because the only reason Thomas died is because he loved her so much. <laughs> I know, it's dumb. I didn't say it was That's good. So <laughs> it's just that I think I knew what it was. I was thinking maybe it was IPI because she's like helping him keep them closed. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she meant literally. Yeah. Again, I was just like, I mean, that's not her hands. That's more Lucille's hands. Very much. Yeah. That's the only, I almost was wondering if the mom, that mom ghost was like confused and just thought that that was Lucille because it's like a young. Can ghosts get confused? I don't, Call I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's a great, another thing I saw um, when I was looking at interviews with Guillermo del Toro, he was like, we have this saying in Mexico, we don't believe in ghosts, but ghosts are real. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like me with the Ouija board. I feel like yeah. anytime I've ever been asked to play, I was just, I've been like, absolutely not. <laughs> but if you ask me if I believe that they work, absolutely no. not. Right. <laughs> so like, explain that to me. Cause I yeah. <laughs> So I really like this movie. Again, I think that this has some of the most like stunning set design and costuming I've seen yes. in a show in a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. even though this is an old movie, it's so beautiful. I think the other one I've seen recently, we actually watched together as well, was uh, Wheel of Time has beautiful costuming. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But even this to me is, is still better. It's just I think so, so good. Yeah. Just so good. So if you have the time, it's on Netflix. It's a smooth two hours. If you like gothic things, and I mean that in the modern sense and in the traditional sense, definitely check this out. Yeah, highly recommend it. Very fun. Good Guillermo piece. Don't trust IMDb. (laughs) Yeah, don't, you know, honestly, never trust them. Just watch things as you like them because I don't like a lot of movies that have great ratings. Yeah, true. Well, we next week we don't know what we're watching yet. Yeah, we're watching um the next the Guillermo movie that came oh, out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah. that available to stream? It's a good question because my butt is not going to the movie theaters right now. Oh no. And this um, one's cool too, because um I knew it was an older movie, but Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley. But it's actually a book, an old book that he he didn't base it on the movie, he based it on the book and uh very excited. It looks again full, Oof. beautiful sets. Yeah. I love Bradley Cooper, so I'm very excited for that. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I love him. He used to have a a show on either Discovery or something where he traveled the world and went and looked at animals and stuff. And I'm like, and this is before life? he acted. Yeah, he just he did that. <laughs> oh, yeah. random. 
He's um, also cool because he has a huge encyclopedic knowledge of films. And like his favorite thing to do is make interviewers play a game with him where like you pick one actor and you have to name every single film that they've done until wow. you lose, <laughs> until you give up. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I just got a text that Bob Saget died. What? My sister just texted me. How does how do you how does your all of your family and net your network just know when people have passed? I swear oh. I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, weirdly, R.I.P. to Bob Saget. Yeah. He was young. That's weird. Every time I hear his name, I think about Jeff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> weird inside joke there, folks. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if we can't do Nightmare Alley, we do have a list that I wrote yeah. down. I think we can, right? There's, there's got to be. Oh, we were going to do an Asian horror. <laughs> oh, yeah. Run after this. So if we can't watch Nightmare Alley, then we're going to jump into, looks like Empedagor. Yes. So Empedagor is an Indonesian movie. It is a little bit hard to find, but it is a recent one. I think it came out in like 17 or 18 or something. It's Mm -hmm. very good. It is very gory, but it's really, really good, which you don't usually get from gory movies. So. If you have to definitely try, do the, do the, what's it called? Screamer? Shutter. Do the Shutter free trial. Shutter free trial. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can watch it there. If you it's don't really like good. gore, and I'm talking to a few select people who do listen, uh-huh. I would not recommend watching it. Just listen to us talk about it because mm-hmm. it is weirdly realistic looking. Yeah. But this was my first Indonesian horror movie ever. And it really put like me in a good place for looking forward to more Indonesian horror. So Mm -hmm. if you can, please watch that before next time. If not, you can just listen to us talk about it. For some reason, can be found at fsr.com, fsrpod.com, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And wherever podcasts can be found. Can also be found on Instagram and Twitter at fsrpodcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, since that is the best method for this reaching a wider audience. Mm -hmm. Anyway, until next time. Bye. Bye.